sweaters and coats. Alex. I need you to see. Come here, I need you to do something for me. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> I can't say. <laughs> hey, man. How do you get all twisted up like that? I don't know. i got to fix this We need to get you a cordless. Wireless. Because <laughs> that is it. See, that's where my 88 lead comes in. It's like, ah, I'm going to fix that. I've got all their conversations. I feel like the chatter of everybody's chatter. Hang on a minute. You ready, Jim? Sure. We're starting this all together, right? Yeah. Just you. 
We have Mr. Joe Trotty, who will be sharing some announcements with us. I love the introductions. Okay, um, good morning, everyone. That was an amen song, wasn't it? Amen. Wow. Was, I hate to be up here doing this right after that, but uh, we have some just announcements we have to get done. The men's breakfast is this next Saturday, February 6th. All the men are invited, and I'd like to invite any high school uh, young men who'd like to come along, so that would be great to have you there also. Uh, Parents' Night Out uh, is happening Saturday, February 13th, and that will be from 4 to 7. Uh, it'll be an early night. Eight children aged infant to 12 years old are welcome. Uh, dinner is uh, provided, and the activities celebrating God's love, and sign-ups are in the lobby. Uh, family Game Night, Friday the 19th. So we're going to have uh, get-together here. Let's all get together, bring games, and we're going to have a great time and just celebrate each other's company. All right. Uh, Children's Ministry will be visiting the Golden Living Nursing Center on Saturday, February 27th at 9.30. That's the only announcement for that. So um, thank you very much. Have a great time. Thank you, Joe. Joe always feels uncomfortable when I look at him. So everybody else is looking at him. Um, So 
So good morning. Let's all stand. We're going to spend some time uh, praising, praising our uh, Lord Jesus. Uh, Father God, we come before you today. We just want to lay everything down before you. We just want to uh, just cast all of our um, outside thoughts, God, that uh, would be distracting from uh, distracting us from uh, focusing on you and worshiping your name. You are so worthy of a God. Um, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the reason we're here, God. We lift your name up this morning. We just want to give you thanks and praise. It's in your name I pray.
confess Bowing here I find my rest Without you I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need you Oh God, how I need you. Words sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. in me Lord I need you Lord I need you every hour I need you my one defense my righteousness oh God how I my song to rise for you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Righteousness, oh God, how I need you.
the pit of emptiness you have redeemed my soul from death you have redeemed my soul from the pit of emptiness you have redeemed my soul from death I was a hungry child a dried up river I was a burnt out forest and no one could do anything for me but you put food in my body water in my dry beds and to my black and branches you brought the springtime green with new life and nothing is impossible a burnt out forest no one could do anything for me would you put food in my body water in my dryness and to my black and branches you brought the springs
Let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. Darkness tries to hide, trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. Now great is our God, sing with me.
Come here, Kim. I'm putting Kim on the spot. <laughs> when we sang that song, uh, Lord, what is it? You have redeemed my soul. You have redeemed my soul. Uh, and watching Kim sing that, and knowing where Kim has been and where Kim is now, uh, you, my nose is already running from a cold, but you kind of boosted uh-huh. things going. So, when when you sang of a, a dried up river, I know you were there. What what was that like? I was ate up. I was ate up with bitterness. It was choking the very life out of me. I didn't enjoy life. I didn't enjoy people. I didn't enjoy God. <laughs> um, I came to church only because it was kind of like a have-to type thing, type of a, a habit. And, of course, my friends are here. But I wasn't enjoying God. I wasn't enjoying His Word. I wasn't enjoying anything about God. In fact, I questioned if I even loved God. And I shared that with a friend of mine. And I thought, oh, something is definitely, definitely wrong. It was a mess. I was a mess spiritually. I was so dried up. And... Um, pretty dead actually how long did that oh mercy that lasted probably a good two to three years too long it's a long way time. too long what made the difference what what changed well obviously jesus made the difference but um i was not living for him i just was not if i'm just honest with everybody i wasn't and i was in a job that i absolutely hated that was sucking the very life out of me. And uh, God graciously, in his love, gave me this amazing job while I was still not living for him, while I was still not following him. And there's, I think there's a scripture in, in, that says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And um, I was like, well, I can't just come back to you now because you gave me a job, God. You know, that, that's like putting a quarter in the thing and getting candy out. But we had uh, communion and healing, I don't know, a few Sundays ago. And I was sitting back there, and my heart was about to beat out of my chest. And I was just shaking all over. And I knew I had to come forward. And all I had to tell him was, I'm a mess spiritually, and God took care of the rest. Jesus took care of the rest. And I'm not the same today. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. I need to steal. Is there one over there? An incredible story of, uh, of God bringing newness, freshness, bringing life, uh, and... Uh, and restoring. Uh, I asked him a couple weeks ago if she would be willing to share, and she said, "Yes." Yeah. She just didn't know it was going to be now. Um, <clears throat> but when I watched her worship, I, I saw the dryness gone. I saw the refreshing, and uh, I said, "Today, you need to share that story." Thank you, Kim. How many of you? Uh, on a happy note, since we're there, how many of you enjoy a circus? Don't enjoy the circus? Why do you not enjoy the circus? Okay, mean to the animals. How, when's the last? Uh, do they even do circuses anymore? 
do they do they still come through? I mean, I remember. Um, I think it was Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus came through a hundred years ago when I was four or five, and that was the first. That was the first time I I had ever gone to a circus, and my mom and dad took me, and and we went, and I was just amazed. I I uh, it, well, actually, it wasn't Ringling Brothers; it was the Shriner Circus, because I remember that because all through I saw the Shriners with their hats, and when we were all done, I asked my mom. I said, "I, I want a clown hat." <laughs> So I thought they were clown hats. <laughs> um, I think I got one uh, just to be quiet. Shut me up, and, and I wouldn't keep calling the Shriners clowns. Um, but one of the things that amazed me when I was there, and it still amazes me uh, to this day, is not only the animal acts and and you know the because those are kind of amazing that what they can do with animals. And yes, they are mean to them, I think, sometimes in the, in the training process. But um, we're, we're the, the acrobats, the high wire, um, to, to look way up into the rafters and see them walking on and doing things. Not just walking, but, I mean, like rolling and laying down and, and uh, you know, pyramids and, you know, multiple people riding a bicycle. That always amazed me with, the, uh, with, with those high wire acts and what they're able to do so far off the ground. And I remember uh, just being amazed with them and wanting to practice. You know, you practice on like a two-by-four. Well, okay, that's no practice. And kind of turn it sideways and walk on the side of the two-by-four. And that doesn't really get it either because there's no bend. But there's actually movement on that high wire that they have to to balance and, and maintain. Have you ever heard of the flying Walindas? Most probably have. Or the great Walindas, I think, is what they were known as for a while. It's seven generations of tightrope artists. Uh, started by Carl Walinda, who uh, was the patriarch of the family, and he created some of their best-known stunts, which I think the, the biggest is, the, the, I think, the seven-person pyramid, um, the one on the bottom, and then they just pyramid up uh, from there. And uh, just amazing uh, the number of years that the Walinda family has has worked with the Shriner Circus as well as Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. But but it wasn't without tragedy. There were members of the family that had been killed over the years. Um, there was one where they the person at the bottom of the pyramid lost his balance and three members died. Um, in that in that tragedy, a nephew and and uh, a grandson and and uh, I think a brother, uh, I think was was who it was. Carl fell to his death uh, in 1978 at the age of 73, still on the high wire. Um, and now it's Nick Walinda. You ever heard of Nick Walinda? Nick is the great grandson of Carl, um, and he's kind of the featured performer. He's the one that's getting all the press time right now, um, doing daring stunts. Like uh, just a couple years ago, he was the one that was on TV that was walking across the Grand Canyon. Uh, now, not all the way across, but one of the gorges where they could stretch the, the wire, and he walked across there, and he was singing praises to God uh, in the midst of that walking with the, the long pole, and, and just the, the almost terror that was in his face as he stepped on the wire, and the sheer delight that was on his face when he stepped off. And now, the Walindas never worked with a net. 
They, they never had a net. Um, and uh, the story behind that, as I was reading up on them, the story behind that is the first time they went and appeared, the net was on the ground and they didn't have what was needed to hook it up. And they kind of said, well, the show must go on. And so they went without the net the first time. They said, well, I guess we don't need it. Uh, and just never went with a net. Um, but balancing acts have always fascinated me. Uh, when, when they, the things that they can do and, and how they balance um, defying gravity in a sense. I mean, to get something to, to teeter and balance perfectly. Um, maintaining life. If we take this story and we, we put it to a spiritual application, maintaining a spiritual life, a walk with the Lord, uh, maintaining balance is a key to that, is a key to a, being a Christ follower, it is maintaining balance in all things. Most of the time when we get into trouble, or when a church gets into trouble, it's because we've allowed some aspect of our life to get out of balance. And you know that. Uh, when, when things aren't, when, when you're just not feeling right, when you, you've hit a dry season, when, when things aren't well between you and the Lord, or between you and a spouse, or you and another family member, or you and a friend, it's because something in that relationship, something in your life, has gotten out of balance. And we, we need to constantly... And Paul's encouraging us here in Galatians chapter 5, where we're going to be this morning, if you want to take your Bibles and, and turn there, that, that we have to constantly be working at maintaining balance in our life. Because really, we're living without a net. And we can take one wrong step, we can make one wrong decision, we can, can make several little wrong decisions, and we can end up in a pit and with no way out and despair and, and destroyed. We need to learn how to balance work and play. We have some who are workaholics. All work, no play. We have some who are playaholics. They're all play and no work. And, and, but they're, and, and so we, we say, well, the workaholic, somehow we, we like, well, the workaholic is better. No, they're both out of balance. And we need to bring balance to that. We need to bring balance to that area of our life. Family and friends, relationships get out of balance. Parents, I see this, moms usually, uh, who become so focused on their kids that they lose touch with the rest of the world. They become so focused on what the child needs that the husband's need is put way back, that any other family member's need is put way back, that church's need is put way back. All relationships' needs are put way back on the shelf because out of balance. Too focused on this one individual, or maybe these two or three little individuals. Yes, you need to focus on them. But we need to maintain balance. Not to the expense of something else. We balance diets. Let that sink in. Some of you balance diets. I'm not speaking personally here. This is what I've heard. Some can become so obsessed with food that they can't enjoy eating. You know, God gave us food to enjoy to eat. And... and, and I know some, some have a health issues and can't eat certain foods and we have to be, be aware of those things and you have to take care of your bodies. And, but you know what? Sometimes you just need a big old juicy burger that's pink in the middle. And dry. <laughs> Not mooing, just pink. 
You know what? Sometimes you need, and I, I was reminded of this this morning when I walked in and there was a box of donuts sitting on the table in front of two men. And when I walked by about 20 minutes later, that box looked the same. There weren't any more out of it. And I'm like, how did you guys do that? I wasn't there. <laughs> Phil wasn't there. <laughs> but sometimes we just need to go to Concannons and get a donut the size of our head. Do you not? But balance. Some may need to go, be, go to begin taking care of the bodies that God gave us. We need to balance that out. We need to balance the concannons with farmer's market vegetable aisle. You know, my grandma had a theory. My grandma said if you eat celery and carrots, you could have a piece of pie. You, you maintained balance. Now you got to understand, my grandma was 5'4", and I think she tipped about 300 she leaned much heavier to the pie side than she did the, the carrots and celery side. But it was always funny to watch her because at the end of a meal she had celery and carrots and she had pie and she would eat them both. And that she maintained her balance that way. She had a low center of gravity so it was a little easier for her to maintain balance. Working out, you know, the whole exercise craze that, that, that some of us are into from time to time. That we're so focused on working out that there's no time for relationships. We're so focused on the gym. We're so focused on, on the weights. We're so focused on the running that, that we become obsessed with it. And relationships suffer. Other areas of our life suffer. Now we need to keep in shape. Again, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we need to be mindful of that. But we need to have all of that done. All of that is good in balance. And even spiritually. But without the spiritual disciplines that we've talked about so many times over the last year and a half, two years, without the spiritual disciplines, without community, without other people walking beside us, without other believers speaking openly into our lives, it's easy to spiritually get off balance. Growing, living, serving, Telling, stewarding, those five little words that we repeat over and over again that we keep in front of you, that we talk about, are all there to help us maintain balance in every aspect of our life, in every relationship that we have. Paul is actually addressing this issue of balance throughout the letter to the, to the Galatians. He's talked about this over and over again. Paul pictures the Galatians kind of walking on a tightrope if you will. Or walking on the, the peak of a mountain with a, with a sheer drop-off on each side. And on one side is the danger of legalism Paul's been talking about. That idea that you have to maintain the law. That you have to stay very true to the law. That, that you can't deviate from the law. That the law is still very important. That we're still under the law. That the rules, that we make more rules to help us understand all of the rules... Paul says that if you get out of balance, you can fall to the side of legalism. And it's just all about the rules. For years, any good, respectable, church-going individual never went to a movie theater. I had, I had friends that you know, were in the, as pastors... And uh, they, they would not go to a movie theater. They just they said, nope, that, they grew up in that 
era and that age of never going to the movie theater. And then Mel Gibson came out with the passion that hit movie theaters, and they didn't know what to do. They wanted to promote, they wanted to go, they wanted to see it. But, but inside them, they, just, they had this, this rule that it was wrong for them. And, and some went ahead and went, and some just waited until it came out on DVD and watched it at home. And, and that's okay, but, but if, we, if we get off on that, if we, if we, if we get out of balance and, and we create all of these rules uh, that, that really aren't scriptural, but they're man-made rules about what is right and what is wrong. You didn't drink, you didn't smoke, you didn't play games that involved a deck of cards or rolling dice, and then Uno came out. Women only wore skirts and dresses, never wore pants. My grandmother, who would be 116 years old if she were alive right now, I never saw her in anything but a dress. Never. I think she slept in one. Because when she went to bed at night, if we were staying at her house and she went to bed at night, she was wearing a dress and heels. Okay, this was when she was in her 70s, retired. When she came out in the morning, she had dress and heels. And that's what she wore. She was never, never were you to wear pants if you were a lady. Again, that, that, that borders on the legalism. Scripture doesn't say anything about that. Scripture talks about being modest in your dress, in your appearance. There was a day when you dressed up to go to church. You put on your Sunday best. You were neither in the world, nor were you of the world. The Judaizers and Galatians that Paul was talking about were saying that you must observe the law. And their one issue that they were having was the whole idea of circumcision. They said in order to become a Christian, in order to follow Christ, you had to first become a Jew. So if you were a Gentile... Okay, and you wanted to follow Christ, you had to first become a Jew, which meant you had to be circumcised, then you could follow Christ. They had put that legalism, they had gotten that out of balance. On the other side was the danger of libertinism. That whole idea of freedom, anything goes. That our liberty, we're no longer under the law, we're under grace, so I can do whatever I please. Those are the two cliffs that we have. That there are no rules, there's no laws, there's complete liberty and freedom. I go to church when I want, no longer under the law. I do what I want. As I feel. Swing the pendulum the other way and whatever feels good. I'm covered by grace. There's no need to change. I go to church when I can. I read the Bible when I can. Pray when I can. In fact, you were encouraged to be in the world and in order to relate to be a little bit of the world. That whole idea of freedom saying it doesn't matter what you do, just profess Christ and grace will cover it. See, now we've swung the other way and we've gotten out of balance. And Paul's saying we've got to maintain balance. Paul is saying that there is balance. Look at Galatians chapter 5. I want to begin reading with verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to 13. 
Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Okay, he's talking about that whole, the, the liberty side of the balance. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, alright? So, live in your freedom. Live in that liberty. Paul, Paul's saying, you know what? Get over here on this side. You're free. No longer under the law. No longer under the rules. No longer under the, the, the thumb, under the, the watchful eye. Now it's, it's freedom. It's all about living free. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And I'm thinking people in the back are saying, Amen. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, if you go back to the legalistic law, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Live in your liberty. Live in your freedom. And people are going, yes! Now I can do what I want. I can do whatever I feel like doing, whatever, however I feel like that morning, I can get up and do whatever I feel. And then he gets down to verse 13. And he says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Oh, now there's balance. Yeah, don't, don't go to legalism because Christ will, have ha- will be of no value to you whatsoever. But yet you can't go all the way over to the freedom side either. You've got to maintain balance. Do not allow your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you're going to be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I could go on and on and on, Paul says. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says you've got to get your life back in balance. You were way over here on the... There's a group in your church that have come in and, and thrown you over here on the, on the legalistic side. They're saying you've got to be circumcised. You've got to obey the law. And I'm telling you, no, Christ died for your freedom, that you're no longer under the law. Now you're under grace. But watch out, because it's easy to get out of balance and think, okay, I can do whatever I want then. That grace has no bounds. Grace has no limits. That means I can do anything and it's covered by grace. And Paul's saying, no, brothers, don't let your freedom indulge the sinful nature. Now, we're going to look at these verses over the next two weeks. I, kinda, I was going to do it all in one week and we've kind of split it up now. But right now, today, I want to look at the warning. Okay, I want to look at, at the getting out of... We've looked a lot at getting out of, out of balance on the legalistic side. Now, this, today I want to look a little bit at, at how we can get out of balance on the, the liberty side, on the freedom side. And then next week we're going to talk about maintaining balance. How do I maintain balance in this world? So today, we, we, Paul is, is saying that in these verses, he's, first he gives us a warning. And then he gives us the end result if we don't heed to the warning. 
And then he says there's a real present reality that we have to be aware of. So let's look at the warning. Verse 13. Do not let your freedom indulge the sinful nature. There is a warning that we could misuse our freedom. That that we could get out of balance. That word indulge is actually a military term. That, That word indulge is a military term that means a base of operation. Okay, this is headquarters. This is where all the orders come out from. This is where all the decisions are made, all the plans are made in order for the army to execute them out there. He says, do not set up a base of operation. Don't let your freedom become a base of operation for the sinful nature. Does that make sense? Don't let this newfound freedom, don't let this not being under the law but being free, don't let grace become an opportunity for the sin nature to flourish, to set up plans, to have it be a starting point, that that place from which an attack is made. So don't let your freedom in Christ be the point in which the enemy can attack. Don't allow this freedom to be the base from which your sinful nature operates. I'm free now. All those things I was told I couldn't do, all those rules that the church had, you know, when I grew up in that legalistic setting, in that legalistic home, in that legalistic church, and they told me I couldn't do this, couldn't do this, couldn't do this, and now I found that I am free, now I can do all those things. No. There's still a balance. And it's a fine line balance. It's a tightrope sometimes between yes, liberty, no legalism. It's a fine line. But Paul says there's a danger of indulging that sin nature. They're allowing the freedom to kind of to set up, to allow the sin nature to set up base within our freedom. That there exists for each of us that that we say, well, my my sins are forgiven, my salvation is secure, so I can do some of the things I did before in moderation. I just don't do it the way I used to do it. I don't party nearly as hard as I did. I now have limits. I now know when to stop. Paul says, dangerous ground, you're tipping. There's a cliff. And it's dangerous when we start to think, I know how far I can go. Because your sin nature is going, you have no idea what I can do. The sin nature wants to set up operation. Wants to remain in power. Overemphasizing freedom without transformation, without change can make us a a bigger slave to sin than before. When when we feel that we have the... that that we're now forgiven of those sins that we did, the things that we had done before, and that when we now feel we have the freedom but we haven't changed anything in our life, we've just thrown fuel on that sin fire. Then now that freedom when we don't bring in transformation, when we don't let the Holy Spirit change us from within, now freedom has just given full full, uh, leeway to sin. 
when sin was operating out of rules and legalism, and now sin is allowed to operate out of freedom? When I had my dog on a leash, and he could go ten feet and no more, he bucked that leash every time. But now if I say, well, you're not on a leash anymore, that's legalism to say this is you can go this far and no farther. I'm going to take you off the leash and he was set free. (laughs) He took it. Do not allow your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Do not allow your freedom... All this talk of freedom, if, if we're not careful, can lead to more sin with less guilt. Because somehow we've convinced ourselves now well, Christ died for it all. And so I'll just continue on, knowing that I'm just forgiven. I'll just confess it. If it gets out of hand, I know my limits. If it gets out of hand, I, I know that I can go back. My safety net is confess and He'll forgive. If I confess, He's obligated to forgive. Now you're walking dangerous. Because now you're saying, I'm going to do this and God, you have to. Now you're in control. Now you're the power and you're telling God what to do. Premeditated sin doesn't go over so well in a confessional. Galatians were abusing their freedom in Christ. They were allowing freedom to become the freedom to sin rather than the freedom from sin. That their freedom in Christ, they they were indulging in many of the activities that they were in the habit of doing prior to faith in Christ. Paul says in verse 19, he, he says, the, you know, they're, they're, your life hasn't changed. Their actions and their thoughts had not been transformed. He says, I can walk around. He said, the acts of the flesh, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And I get, this is in no way an exhaustive list. Okay? I, I hope you know, understand that this is not an exhaustive list. So I'm thinking that this is just what Paul saw. This is an observation as he spent time in Galatia, in, those, in, in Lydia and Derby and, and those other areas, those other cities, that as he's walking around, as he's interacting with the churches, he says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious when I watch, when I look. There's sexual immorality, there's impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I can see it. It's obvious to me. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this, those who indulge the sinful nature, will not inherit the kingdom of God. We look at the list. Actually, we usually don't look at that list. We look at the list we're going to look at next week, the fruit of the Spirit. This is an obvious sin list. This is an obvious sinful nature manifestation list. And Paul says, I see it. And he's talking to the church. These sins are obvious to you, in you, among you. And he said, and then what we forget though is, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't continue to get your life out of balance and lean on grace, allowing you to thinking that you can do anything you want. 
Paul says it doesn't work that way. Don't allow your freedom to be the base of operations for your sin nature. I'm under grace, so sin can't touch me. Sin can't hurt me. Take a walk through Muncie on a Friday or Saturday night. What acts of the sinful nature are obvious? Okay, have you ever done that? Just hang out. Go sit, listen, observe. What sins, what, what, what acts of the sinful nature are obvious? And then we have to ask ourselves, what's obvious in my own life? How am I different or am I any different from those acts? You know, the hardest ones are those sins of relationship. The strife. The hatred, the envy, the dissensions, the fits of rage, the jealousy, the discord. Okay, I can agree, yeah, sexual immorality, I understand that, that's wrong. I'm not... Hatred? Discord? Have you ever been... Had a relationship that was in discord? Out of sorts? Out of balance? Fits of rage? I have fits of rage, I'll admit that. But there are times that if I get out of balance, I've got an anger streak. My kids will testify to it readily. Those are the tough ones. Those are the ones that are harder to control, the harder to not indulge. Paul is saying, don't allow your freedom, don't allow grace to be an excuse to let the sinful nature run free. Because what's the end result? If we don't maintain balance, what's the end result? Look at verse 17, he said, or verse 15. He said, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you're going to be destroyed by each other. If we don't get the hatred, he's talking specifically here about a lot of those relationship strife sins. If we don't get these things under control, if we don't bring them back under the control of God, under the control of the, of the, of the Holy Spirit instead of the sin nature, you're going to bite, devour, and destroy one another. Sexual sins, worship sins, relationship sins, party sins, that Paul says are all obvious. If you continue to indulge the sinful nature, biting one another literally means to wound the soul. That's what the biting is here. To wound the soul. And you know what the tongue can do. You know what those biting remarks can do. You have wounds yourself that you've never quietly come overcome in your own life because of some biting remark maybe years ago. And you're still carrying that hurt. And sometimes we learn that the best way to stop a biter is to what? Bite them. I'll just bite back. It actually worked for my brother. There's a neighborhood girl, and she was a biter. 
And my brother would come home when they were little, four, five, six years old, and he'd been playing, and, and he'd come home crying. So she bit me again. And my dad said, bite her back. So the next time she bit him, my brother grabbed her arm and chomped down. She never bit him again. Now I'm not saying that's the solution to biting words. okay? Because that's the problem. That's the problem that when someone, when someone is in discord, when someone is in a fit of rage, when someone is, is biting me verbally, my sin nature, if I indulge it, my sin nature says, bite them back. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't go there. We cannot respond that way. Especially within the church. And remember, he's talking to the church. He's not talking when the world bites you, although it's going to be the same result. But he's talking to the church here. That if you are biting and devouring each other, that word devour means to squander. You're wasting what you have. If you continue to bite one another verbally, if you continue with the hatred and the dissension and the discord and the fits of rage and, and all of those, those relationship strife sins, if you continue with those, you're going to squander what God has given you in community. You're going to lose it. And then it's going to destroy you. If we keep disregarding sin, if we keep treating it like it's no big deal, if you keep squandering the relationship, squandering the community of the church, you will be destroyed. Literally, you will be consumed. Like spent money. Have you ever had buyer's remorse? Bought something that you thought, Oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. It is the latest, greatest thing. I can't wait to get it. And so you just go out and on impulse, you buy it. You don't care how much it costs. You had to have it. You got it. You began to use it. And you're like, this isn't so great. But the money spent. You squandered it. Now, maybe it's returnable. Maybe it's not. But it's, it has cons- it's been consumed. It's gone. And we can do that with our relationships. Through, through the hatred and the discord and the strife, we can squander the community that God has provided for us. It's easy for the sheep in the pen to bite each other. We see each other, we nitpick, we complain, they didn't do this, I don't like that, they did this, I don't care. Because when we start to go down that road, we are indulging the sin nature. We are allowing the sin nature of strife and hatred to set up a base of operation in my heart, in my life, and then I'm going to bite and devour anyone who comes along. Paul says, if you do that, you're going to destroy yourself. Because I'm warning you right up front, you're going to destroy yourself. I know churches that have been destroyed because the sheep were filled with hatred with discord, with jealousy, with fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. Francis Schaeffer in his book, The Mark of the Christian, said, I have observed one thing among true Christians in their difference in many countries. What divides and severs true Christian groups and Christians, what leaves a bitterness that can last 20, 30, 40 years or more when the next generation remembers 
is not the issue of doctrine or belief that caused the difference. Invariably, it is a lack of love and the bitter things that are said by true Christians in the midst of differences. It's not the the doctrinal difference. It's not that we think differently on this topic or that topic. It's how we react to the difference. It's how we bite at the difference. It's how we prove our point. That I have, I, I need to be right. Which means I need to prove you're wrong. I know here in this church, Mac has gone through a lot of conflict in the last three or four years. We don't hide it. We don't celebrate it. We acknowledge we've gone through it. And I'm sure along the way, there have been things that have been said, felt, done, that might fall into this category of hatred, discord, wounding, bitterness, fits of rage, lack of trust, directed in another believer. I know that a lot of healing has taken place. I also know that there still exists open wounds. That you still, some still carry that hurt, that bitterness, that unresolved conflict, the personal biting, the wounding. Paul is saying your freedom to be upset must be balanced by your freedom to forgive. To love. In the end, Paul says it's all about love God, love people. And if we have an area in our life that is not allowing us to love God, as Kim said this morning, she got to a point where she didn't even know if she loved God anymore. And then she used the R word. Repent. She came to a point in her own life where she realized I had to repent because that's wrong thinking. I had indulged the sinful nature in my relationship against God and there was discord, there was dissension. There were fits of rage. And it resulted in biting and devouring and squandering what God had had provided. And she repented. Sometimes we have to repent to one another. And then God comes in and and in His freedom and in His grace does marvelous things in that relationship. Because let me just say, there is a reality. A present reality. We've seen the warning. We've seen the the outcome. What's going to happen if we don't heed the warning? Biting, devouring, squandering. And Paul says there is an ever-present reality at work in each of us. Verse 17, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The sinful nature desires, wants what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. We are in conflict within ourselves. There is a civil war raged within us. The minute we accept Christ, the minute we place our faith in Him, we confess our sins, uh, and and we place our faith in Christ as our Savior, the moment we do that, a civil war breaks out. 
Because now that sin nature has a rival. That sin nature that acted freely, without a whole lot of boundaries, without a whole lot of, uh, of uh, watchfulness over it, that was getting you to do things, to sin, to do things that, that you know, was fun, you wanted to do. There was no, the moment you accept Christ as your Savior, there's a war raging. Because that sin nature now has a rival. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells you and moves in and begins to clean up. Begins to clear house. Begins a transformation process. Begins to want to make you like Christ. To put you into the image that we were created in, in the image of God. And we're in a conflict. That sinful desire still exists. Those selfish desires still exist. They want things their way. Someone once said that a Christian is a redeemed soul living in a yet unredeemed humanness. That's the conflict. That's the battle. That we are a soul that has been redeemed. We've been a soul that has been given new life. That has tasted grace. That has tasted freedom. And yet we're still strapped, anchored to this sin nature. This unresolved humanness. Fallenness. And the war rages. It's a tightrope. Paul says, careful how you walk. It's easy to fall one way or the other. You're on a diet. Someone sets fresh chocolate chip cookies in front of you. Warm, soft, gooey chocolate chip cookies. Your old self... The one who ate freely desires them. But your new self, your diet self, says no. Do not exercise your freedom to eat. Discipline. Your freedom can lead you to destruction. Your new self will lead you to new habits that have an apple, have fruit. So, of course, I'm talking spiritually. That when sin, temptation presents itself, the old self, the sin nature, right in. I'm all about it. But now this this war that rages within us, the, the, the Spirit says, no, check. That's the sin nature. We don't want to follow that. And we form new habits. These spiritual disciplines that we keep talking about. We form new habits that over time become almost second nature to us. And that that sin nature begins weak, become weaker and weaker and weaker and less enticing. Not that it ever goes away. But the Holy Spirit will assist in overcoming that old nature where before we had no ability to overcome it. God has now given us the, overability, the, the ability to overcome. These two natures, sin nature and the spirit, are in direct opposition to each other. Maybe you've heard the, the story of the old man explaining this to his grandson. The old man says it's like two racehorses living inside you. One's going to race towards sin every time. And the other one is going to race toward this Holy Spirit, towards the things of God, every time. To which the grandson asked, Grandpa, which horse will win? 
And the grandfather says, whichever one you feed will win. And so we need to starve the sin nature. Not allow our freedom to indulge it. But within our freedom, now we need to starve it. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. You will be destroyed by each other. But true freedom comes when we are no longer driven by natural sinful desires. When we feel the freedom to actually follow the Spirit. That's true freedom. The truth is that we're all infected by the sin nature. Every one of us carries around inside us what could be the indulgence. What could be the the base of operation for sin. We all carry it within us. That starting point for sin. And every one of us has that area where we are weak. The writer of Hebrews says that it's the sin that so easily entangles us. It's the weak spot in our wall of defense. And you have it. And it's going to show itself from time to time. It's going to rage a war against the Holy Spirit within you. Every one of us has that area where we are weak. That that, that word entangles means skillfully surrounds us. It's not an accident. The enemy is crafty. The enemy is going to take that weakness. He knows the weakness. He knows the sin. He knows where that indulgence lies. And he's going to skillfully surround us with it. It's where we think we have no other option but to give in. And the Holy Spirit says, No, I'll always give you a way out. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And the Holy Spirit is going to be faithful. He will always give you a way out. Take it. That's the freedom. Now we have the freedom to take the way out where before we didn't. That's what grace is. Grace is the freedom to take the way out of sin. To no longer indulge it. But to overcome it. Because there's a new power that works within us. And we know what we have to do. We know that we have to bring that sin, we have to bring that weakness. Bring it, confess it to God and allow His Spirit, allow our new nature to begin weakening it. Weakening the sin, weakening the desire. The more we say no to it, the weaker it gets. The more we say yes to it, the stronger it gets. Whichever horse you feed will win the race. Jesus wants to give us the power to resist. Paul's telling the Galatians that here. Don't indulge your sinful nature. Next week we're going to look a little more at at how, but Jesus wants to come in and, and change that. And it's going to start with us repenting. It's going to start with us confessing where that weak area is. What is it in my life that strategically, skillfully surrounds me that I don't feel I have power over? that I don't feel I have freedom over. What sin is there in your life that so easily entangles you? Maybe it is a sexual sin. One of these obvious things. Maybe it's a a, a worship sin, an idolatry sin, a, a hatred, a strife, a relationship sin. Maybe it's a party sin, the drunkenness, the orgies, and the like. 
maybe you've been real good at hiding it. But today's the day to kill it. Today's the day to put an end to it. To destroy it. To bring it before God. To lay it at the cross and let the the, the enemy know that, that no, not anymore. Today I'm done. I'm no longer going to indulge the sinful nature. I'm no longer going to bite. I'm no longer devour. I'm I'm no longer going to squander, destroy what God has given me. Father, this morning I ask that your Holy Spirit work free in this room. Father, we have have come to a crossroads in our life. We've come to a point where we know there is sin that easily entangles, that, that, that skillfully surrounds us. Father, I know that I have indulged it. Father, this morning I want victory over it. I want your spirit to win. I want relationship renewed. I don't want the bitterness. I don't want the hatred. I don't want the discord. I don't want the guilt. I want the victory. If you are here this morning and you have an area that you know and you truly want to overcome it. You truly want to get rid of it. You truly want to see the freedom and the grace to say no. Would you stand right where you are? No one's going to know what it is. But if you want victory this morning, stand. You've indulged it long enough. You've carried it long enough. This morning is our victory. This morning is our opportunity to say no more. Father, thank you for those that have stood. Father, for their desire to overcome. That we know we are in the Holy Spirit, we are more than conquerors. That we have a victory that is ours. That that, that we have a grace and and a freedom to say no to temptation that was not ours before. We didn't have that freedom. Father, help us to have a right attitude. Help us to, to have a right understanding of the battle that goes on before us, within us. Father, through the power of Your Holy Spirit, grant each of those that are standing Your victory in this area. Father, allow them to leave here this morning knowing that yes, the battle rages on. Yes, there will be times of temptation, probably even yet today. But you have overcome. That we can praise you as the overcomer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now would everyone stand and sing.
prayer in the desert when all that's within me feels dry. This is my prayer in my hunger and need. My God is the God who provides. And this is my prayer in the fire, in trial or weakness or pain. More worth than gold, so refine me, Lord, through the flame. I will sing praise, I will sing praise. No weapon formed against me shall be raised. I will rejoice, I will declare God is my victory and He is. shall be raised I will rejoice I will declare God is my victory and he is here all of my life in every season you are still God I have a reason to Therefore, because of all of this, because of what we've talked about today, because of, uh, of, of the victory that is ours in Christ, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we are a part of this incredible family and community of God, with saints that have gone before and saints that will follow behind, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Amen? We can go in victory. We can live this week in victory. If there's a relationship that you need to restore, you need to restore it. You need to go back to them. Ask forgiveness or seek forgiveness. Give forgiveness. No more biting. No more devouring. No more squandering. No more indulging. We've been set free. And if the Spirit sets you free, you are free indeed. Live in that freedom. Amen? Amen.